this episode of Riding the 3x3, Patrick Fetch and I, Russ Heltman, dive into a lot of topics, starting with the NBA Finals, tied up at two apiece, heading back to Phoenix. Are the Suns on the ropes? Do they have any answers for the bludgeoning Milwaukee Bucks? Then we get into MLB lane number two, discussing second half storylines, the things we're most intrigued to see uh, before we close the show with a lane number three, all focused on the NFL, the players with the most to prove in the 2021 season, and which training camps opening up in the next couple weeks are Pat and I most intrigued to follow over the course of the month of August. Catch us on Spotify, Apple, Google, wherever you get your podcasts. Go ahead and subscribe, rate, and review. Let's get into lane number one. Welcome in to Riding the 3x3. We are live here on Twitter and Facebook. Your host, Russ Heltman, joined as always by my co-host, Patrick Fetch. Got a great show lined up for the people today. Very thankful that the NBA is spacing out this, uh, this 2021 NBA Finals. Just beautiful, beautiful content streams. We can actually chop everything up and discuss it all over the uh, ensuing two to three days between contests. We'll hit on that in lane number one. We also have Team USA. Not necessarily diving too much into the Olympics talk just yet. We'll wait for the finals to wrap up, but have to touch on the COVID outbreaks uh, going on inside the Team USA camp. Had to cancel the Australia game. I believe it was it was either going to be played today or yesterday, but that one has been canceled. We'll dive into that. And then Henry Abbott of True Hoop dropping a bombshell this morning saying that Dame Lillard will be requesting a trade in the ensuing few days. We'll be touching on that as well to close out lane number one. And then lane number two, our number one second half storyline in the Major League Baseball circuit. What are we going to get out of Shohei Otani? Fernando Tatis, triple crown maybe from Vladimir Guerrero Jr.? We'll talk about all that coming up in lane number two. And also the mic'd up from the All-Star game. I loved it. I want to find a way, figure out a way to get more of that into some real MLB games. I might be uh, dreaming of a pipe dream there, but we'll talk about that to close out lane two. And then lane number three, NFL training camp primer. We got teams reporting to camp in the next 10 to 12 days. So uh, on that note, Pat and I are going to give our most interesting training camps opening up in the next few weeks. And also, what NFL player has the most to prove out of the 1,500-plus guys slated to suit up in 2021? We'll discuss all that. But Pat, my oh my, it seems we're going to get a classic, my man. Tied up at two apiece, just the fourth NBA Finals in the last 30 years to have the home team win every single game through the first four outings in a series. A 109-103 victory by the Milwaukee Bucks in game number three. 40-point masterpiece from Chris Middleton. The clutch shooting down the stretch. I'll get into it once we start discussing this, but it's time to stop denigrating Chris Middleton. This man is a closer. He is the closer. He got the job done in game number three, hitting mid-range shots in the Phoenix Suns' face. Chris Paul... An absolute disaster ever since game one in Phoenix. He seems to be a little hurt. Maybe the hand is bothering him. But regardless, Drew Holiday, that buzzsaw Milwaukee Bucks defense, they grind away from down nine points, Pat, and now we're all knotted up going back to the Valley. Chris Paul and Drew Holiday both played absolutely abysmal in that game four. It was brutal to watch the point guard on play. Let's see Holiday was a, was a maven <laughs> on defense. He was an Yeah, but that four for 20 line, 0 for 5 from three, brutal, brutal. I mean, yeah, it's been a war of attrition, both of these teams, right? The series hasn't started yet. A home team has won every game. <laughs> and frankly, I, I, I am way more interested right now that it's going to be the best of three mentality 
there's going to be some grit and grime in these in these games. This is going to come. Every one of these is going to come down to the wire. I think the Bucks are going to sell out in this game five. They're going to do absolutely everything they can <clears throat> to win this game, to bring it home to game six in Milwaukee with a chance to shut it down because that is their best course of action for this. That obviously winning the game is, is the best thing for them, but it's going to be a absolute war 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 game five and i'm pumped for it because both of these teams have answered the bell both of them want to play with aggression a little bit chippy you got devin booker fouling out of every game and you know getting away with eight fouls or whatnot so these teams want to play they want to play hard aggressive i think it's going to be fun i'm, I'm really excited for game five and game five will define i think what this whole nba finals will be remembered as and uh, that's an exciting moment so chris paul he he better this is a he has his chance now i mean we can it's not about what you have done for me it's what you're gonna do for me so chris paul still has a chance to not make it the biggest bummer of an nba finals for his first uh, appearance but man he he has been kind of terrible like so. it would be pure chris paul fashion to go up 2-0 and end up actually losing the nba finals after having that lead pat First game of his entire 2020-2021 season, playoffs, regular season included, where he has had five-plus turnovers and shot less than 40% from the field, went five for 13, only had 10 points. And, Pat, this guy's injured. He is injured. He's not going to the rim. He was 0 for 0 on free throw attempts, did not take one trip to the charity stripe all night long. Like, his hand is banged up, and it's just – that's what happens to these smaller – Older point guards, once you get deeper and deeper into the playoffs, it becomes, like you said, a, a war, a war of attrition. And that's what we're dealing with right now. Without Devin Booker going absolutely nuclear from the mid-range, this Suns team would have been beat by 20. 17 of 28, a masterpiece performance by Devin Booker, although he did uh, pick up, literally had seven fouls in the game. They only called five of them, which was crazy. But I was glad, I was glad Pat, that after they didn't get Booker on his sixth foul where he just straight mauled, I think it was Drew Holiday on the layup there, and Giannis mm -hmm. uh, luckily was trailing behind to uh, to clean up the garbage. They didn't give him anything when he tried to go to the rim the rest of the night. Like I think he, after that after that uh, no call, he was two for six from the field and did not go back to the free throw line. So the refs kind of recognized that they missed that one right there. But overall, in the final final few minutes, crunch time, the Bucks had their closer, and the Suns did not, and it really like. Two, two things shifted the entire game here, Pat. Number one, first off, and going in, in order, was Devin Booker picking up that fifth foul with about, what, 11.30 to play? I think it was – he was – there were some bad fouls by Booker, too. Like, he had that one on P.J. Tucker where they were on the baseline and he, like, just randomly uh, scraped him when he was going up for a, an offensive rebound. And then the, uh, the backcourt um, – foul where they gave up the uh, turnover and he just went and swiped right at Giannis to prevent a layup. Well, like these players need to realize, we talked about it, DeAndre Ayton, I think in game number three, a little bit where you have to understand the moment and the magnitude of these fouls. You have to recognize the importance of, should I pick this one up or do I let them get the two-pointer? You have to gauge and be able to weigh that in real time. And I know it's not easy to do when you're having to make those split-second decisions, but the bottom line is Middleton was the closer, and the Suns did not have one in this game. Middleton has made 15 game-tying or go-ahead baskets in the fourth quarter of or overtime of the playoffs this season. That ties LeBron James, who had 15 in that 2007 Cleveland Cavaliers finals run, 
for the most such buckets in the past 25 seasons. I'm done, Pat. I'm done listening to the Chris Middleton slander. This guy is a bona fide number two. He proved it last night. He's proved it throughout the playoffs, not necessarily throughout a full game, but his clutch time shooting statistics are absolutely elite. And overall, Giannis Antetokounmpo and Middleton are now the third pair of teammates over the last 50 years to each have a 40-point game in a NBA Finals. Kareem and Magic, LeBron and Kyrie, now Giannis and Chris Middleton. I can't remember if Kareem and Magic won that title, but obviously LeBron James and Kyrie Irving pulled off the 3-1 upset in 2016, and that's kind of the similar vibes we're getting now with the Bucks nodding it all up after going down 0-2. Is there any answer, Pat? What are the answers now for the Phoenix Suns who are getting destroyed on the margins? Offensive rebounds, time of possession, turnovers. They're losing all of those key on-the-margins battles, and it seems like the Milwaukee Bucks have found a perfect formula here where they're funneling all of the Phoenix Suns' offense to the mid-range. They're not allowing them to whip the ball around, get into their half-court action early in the shot clock. I believe 27% of their uh, their um, shots have occurred after 12 seconds remaining in the shot clock, and that's up from 19% in the regular season. So the Bucks have figured out a defensive game plan here where you're forcing them into the mid-range and you're not allowing those three and D wings to get to the corners and take corner threes. I think they took four corner threes in the entire game after averaging 12 to 15 over the first two outings in Phoenix. Well, I mean, you just mentioned how clutch Chris Middleton has been. So I guess that's one thing the Suns, one thing to get is just a little bit less efficiency, especially late in the fourth quarter. Aiton, I think is a key too. They need to be able to run more offense through him. He's so, yeah. he's so important when he is a major part of their offensive scheme and he's been, great on the boards he's been active uh but he just hasn't been the scoring threat that they need and it's all relied on booker and i think maybe it's a little bit on devin booker too being so alpha with the ball on offense being some of that kobe mentality where he's going to go and settle for his contested mid-range before running into some sort of motion for ayton just because that's the mentality he has right now as a scorer and i guess the suns are living and dying by that a little bit you saw it in the fourth quarter it was Middleton versus Booker. Middleton won. So they're going to have to find more clever ways to either save Booker early, get eight more involved. I think a lot of that relies on how good Chris Paul can be, too, because Chris Paul's action and his ability as a point guard is what makes eight and go much more than Booker's ability on offense, too. So I think it's a, it's probably a domino effect to how bad Chris Paul's played to Aiton's inability to be a real force on offense to the, which then forces Booker to play, you know, this Kobe like hero ball. And uh, the Bucks have just, when they can force that, they can outscore them, you know, on their side. So exactly. I, I do you brought up a good point there with, with Aiton. I agree with you. Aiton on the night had uh had a believe. Let's see here. Aiton was three of nine from the field had 17 rebounds, only one offensive rebound though, Pat. And that's the problem here for, the Milwaukee Bucks, seven or for the Suns, 17 offensive rebounds in this past game for Milwaukee to five for the Phoenix Suns. Pat, they had almost 20 more shot attempts in this game than the Phoenix Suns. It just comes down to simple math sometimes in the sport of basketball. Mm-hmm. You're not winning games if you're getting outshot by 20 attempts in a game. And Aiton is a perfect example you brought up there where I believe the one that sticks out to me was I think it was in the third quarter where they threw a lob up to Aiton. He didn't quite have the room to throw it down, but he came back down. And who was right in front of him defending him? Pat Connaughton. You know what he did, Pat? He tried to put a layup up around Pat Connaughton with like some stupid Euro step move. 
You're DeAndre Ayton. You're seven foot, like 250, 280. Put Pat Connaughton in the damn basket stanchion. What are we doing here? Use your physicality. Take more assertiveness of your game on offense. I think that's exactly what DeAndre Ayton has to do. And speaking of Pat Connaughton, uh, Mr. Fetch's namesake right here, a plus <laughs> 21 on the night. That was an underrated storyline, I thought, for the Milwaukee Bucks, who got solid defense out of him. He went four of nine from the field, hit a couple huge three-pointers down the stretch of that game. And I'm I'm guilty of tweeting out, Pat Connaughton is killing the Bucks right now. And then I had to follow it up with a little uh, a little uh, pointing at you, absolute uh, pie-in-the-face gif after that. But Pat Connaughton, I got to give him, give him props. He was the best bench player of the entire uh, two teams to, on uh, Thursday night. And that was our Wednesday night. And that was a huge thing for the Bucks. The highest plus minus of any Milwaukee Bucks was Pat Connaughton at plus 21. Classic Russ Twitter jinx that was. You got to love it. I'll and take the Twitter jinx. But for a guy who picked Bucks in seven, I love that. <laughs> we talked about it too a couple pods ago that the key for the Bucks is just getting something from that bench, whether it be Portis, Connaughton, Forbes. Whoever can just make a few threes and just get on the board for him and be active on defense, that's exactly what Connaughton's done. He airballs a few threes once in a while, but he still puts a few down. And so that's all, that's all it comes down to. He's done just enough for him off the bench. And I'm happy you did bring up the physicality that the, the refs let the, both teams get away with in the end of that game. It was a little bit of training for the FIBA, right? I, mean, I was more. I've been watching a little bit of that international FIBA basketball. It's different, Pat. It's, it's different. better. It's, it's kind of better. It's they, a better game. It's a better game, yeah. I, I wish that the NBA let the defenses be more physical again, and not to an absurd degree, but I do think, you know, it's not necessarily the, the flopping, but it's just that getting fouled is an art. You know, drawing fouls is more important than actually putting up good shots, and it's killing Team USA in the, in the FIBA game right now. So I, I kind of like that. They gave Booker and Middleton, Drew Holiday, a little bit of taste of that before they go off to help the boys, hopefully save them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, down the stretch of that game, uh, uh, they weren't getting calls. They weren't getting whistles. So the Bucks had to find a way to manufacture half-court offense. What do they go to, Pat? Pat, spread Giannis pick and roll. Chris Middleton as the ball handler. Giannis is the screener. Check, please, night-night. That's what they're going to do in crunch time every single game for the rest of the series until the Phoenix Suns figure out a way to beat it. And the Phoenix Suns are not going to beat this Milwaukee Bucks team unless Chris Paul plays at Chris Paul type of level, unless he plays at the level he was at in game one, the level he was at in the Western Conference Finals, where he had only 13 turnovers combined in the eight games between the Western Conference Finals and game one of the the, uh, first two games in Phoenix. Since then, 15 turnovers in the past three games. So it's got to get it's got to get worked out for Chris Paul. He's got to tap into something here. Grind away, figure out an opportunity to get yourself healthy over the next three games. And overall, I just it's becoming a math problem for the Phoenix Suns. They are losing every single important margin statistic. They're getting bullied on the inside and I it's 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 become a best of 3 series that thankfully for the Suns they have home court advantage. And I'm still rolling with the Bucks in seven, although that's going to be a little tough going back to uh, game seven. Like Pat mentioned, they're going to be selling out to win game number five and make sure they have an opportunity to close this puppy out in four straight victories when they head back to Fiserv Forum for game number six. Cannot wait for that one. Saturday at 9 p.m., going to be a lot of fun. The Milwaukee Bucks traveling back to Phoenix to take on the Suns 
who are a four-point favorite. It seems like we just get flips every time we go back uh, to uh, either team's home arena. Four points one side or four points the other. I'm very intrigued to see what happens in that one. Haven't had a great Drew Holiday game yet, Pat, and we'll see if that even actually comes. This is it's so weird. Like He was shooting 71%, Pat, on shots inside of three feet in the regular season. I'm pretty sure it's down to like 44%. He has just cratered. Something, something's going on with Drew Holiday. And something's going on in the Team USA basketball camp. We have had a uh, an outbreak of sorts. Not necessarily a full-on outbreak, but Bradley Beal and Jeremy Grant both placed in uh, in health and safety protocols. And it is uh, it is confirmed that they will not be playing the Australian basketball team, which is slated for 2.30 p.m. Eastern on Friday. When I sent this uh, topic to Pat, he had an interesting, uh, interesting little name to maybe add to the team, and I don't know. Like we had, Trey, did you see Trey Young yesterday, Pat? He uh, he posted the Isaiah Thomas uh, Olympics last dance clip uh, after finding out he was unfortunately not going to be added to the team with Bradley Beal being uh, taken off. Yeah, and look, I've been championing Trey Young all year. Big Hawks guy over here. Big Trey Young fan. Trey Young is not is not what this team needs in order to go <laughs> get gold. Absolutely not what they need. I'm sorry, Trey but we're going to have to pass to, and I'll run with it. There's one name and one name only that seems like it will save team USA basketball this year in the, in the search for gold. That is Zion Williamson. The fact that Zion wasn't on this roster to begin with kind of blows my mind. They I'm assuming they asked him like almost first, it would be insane if they didn't. He's pretty much the most electric player American player we have right now, maybe outside of KD, but his youth, his ability to get rebounds, his physicality, all things that the Team USA desperately needs right now. They need size. The fact that Draymond Green and Kevin Love, they're going to be relied upon to do so much. And Bam Adebayo is going to have to play every minute of every game because of his, his size and mobility on that team. So I think it makes way too much sense to have Zion on that roster. And I think, I think he'd probably be one of the better players they had. I think it's, it's mind boggling that he wasn't a part of it already. Well, he was on a prospective rush Pat, in, uh, in March of uh, this year, they announced him as one of 15 names that was on the prospective roster. And then he just didn't, him and Brandon Ingram just didn't get, just didn't make the cut. I guess Kevin Love, Pat, Kevin Love's too important to, uh, to have on the team. You got, you got to have him on there instead of Ke- Zion Williamson. What are we doing? Why is Kevin Love on the team? It's unbelievable. The guy loafs for three years and then does nothing. He does nothing on the court. He does nothing. He's making $30 million a year. This is what we want to represent America? A guy that <laughs> complains and moans and then it gets to get put on the national team for what? A glue guy? A guy with experience? Who cares? None of these guys have experience playing FIBA basketball. They haven't played it in five years. Crazy. Pop is really going to be taking That's a hit. Pop has taken a hit on his reputation with this one a little bit too. That's an insane call to give Kevin Love that opportunity to like remake himself on Team USA. I mean, Russ, where this team's at, there's like a 0% chance they win gold. I mean, Luka is going to dominate this team. (laughs) And it's just, we already seen it, just the international basketball. They play differently. Nobody on this team knows how to score without hunting fouls. They don't take good shots. It's all hero ball and, they need somebody like Zion who can just dominate. Like LeBron used to, that's what used to carry it is physical domination. Well, 
unfortunately for us, other countries have caught up to the physicality we have. So there's no more just like running through teams like Nigeria and Australia or whoever else beat us already. And so we've already seen it. Just Nigeria and Australia. Just okay. So, I mean, we've already seen it happen. I, yeah, hopefully Zion. Who's going to be the second one though? I mean, we have to add someone else. Tobias Harris apparently is, uh, is uh, getting out of the team. Just, just yeah, we need to buy Harris. Another $30 million player that's really lived up to his contract uh, in, the, in that sense. But we have good confirmation, Pat. I found it. Sham Sarani of The Athletic reported on Monday, this past Monday, or excuse me, last Monday, that he has, uh, that Zion pulled out of the uh, the select team last year. So maybe it was, this was this was from last year. This is a last year article. Okay. So Sham reported this last July. Maybe it's because he didn't, fully engaged with the select team and didn't want to do the FIBA world cup and all that. I don't know. Maybe they, but it's just like, it's Zion Williamson. The guy's got it's the, immense <laughs> talent. You think you he's think, the next generation. Like Pepe he is Le Pew on France is going to have know what to do with Zion Williamson. Are we serious here? Like you said, Pat, they could be, uh, they could be a little bit more physical in the FIBA and that's exactly what Zion Williamson game caters to. So, I don't know. It's crazy. All right. Final thing here in uh, in the NBA world. Dame trade request incoming, Pat. We had Henry Abbott of True Hoop uh, discuss this and drop this news today. I am reticent to believe it all the way until we get a full trade request from Dame, but the tea leaves have been laid out there. He discussed it all and basically leaked it right to Chris Haynes that he was not happy with how the fan base treated him following the hiring of Chauncey Billups. And it appears we're just going to have another summer, another big-name superstar on the move. Uh, we will uh, probably dive more into that next Friday when the trade request is fully announced. But I thought that was huge news that we had to actually touch on a little bit here as we close out NBA. I saw the Knicks being floated out there as a top contender. And I think that would be very fun. What's the Julius Randle situation, though? Is he not a free agent as well? So the Knicks would have to take – Randle is a free agent, yes. So um, I'm so assuming he... – they would have to trade Randall though, right? Wouldn't they? Actually, I guess they wouldn't because they do have a max salary slot. So it could be it could be a package based around RJ Barrett, uh, Mitchell Robinson. I don't, like that sounds gross. Why would the why would the trailers say? I think the member the the two best packages, Pat, are the Warriors with James Wiseman, Andrew Wiggins, number seven this year, number fourteen this year. Future draft picks. That's so that's much. pretty enticing right there. And you then think the game um, is worth that much. Oh yeah, if I'm Portland, I'm I'm skimping everything off of these teams. Dame is on and under contract until 2025, Pat. There's no way you're getting anything less than the full entire farm for Damian Lillard. We're not going to do a Houston Rockets trade here where they get nothing. They get a bunch of draft picks. Like you got to get a real player for Damian Lillard, and uh, and that could be based around James Wiseman. He's got the potential to be that, and it would give Neil O'Shea. See what I think our buddy Neil O'Shea, the GM of the Portland Trailblazers, is going to do is make the package, make the trade that allows him to keep his job the longest. That's what these guys like to do. They like to keep their jobs. They like to keep that nice, cushy, couple-million-dollar pay coming in from the GM coffers. So I think that's what we'll end up seeing. And, and uh, the Warriors package would kind of fit that mold. You give James – got to give James Wiseman time to develop. we got to see what these number seven, number 14 picks are going to turn into. Please don't fire me, uh, Mr. Allen. And then um, – actually, no, Paul Allen – excuse me, rest in peace. Paul Allen's wife is now – the uh, the owner of the team, so that's that's an issue now as well. But um, what else? Was I say? Oh, and the Sixers are also up there, Myers as well, with 
Maxi Simmons, Thibel, and multiple draft picks. That could maybe uh, be a competitive offer there as well. But we'll dive into all that more okay. so next Friday. Hopefully, okay. not hopefully, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about this Dame trade request thing. I personally would like to see him, like, basketball-wise in a different scenario. But as a Hornets fan, a guy that loves to support small markets, it would be kind of kind of crushing to what see is a, the Moda Center gets zapped of all that fun. What is a Warriors lineup? <laughs> so, Curry, Lillard, Thompson, Green, then you, then you can play the, the fifth spot. <laughs> like, I'll, I'll play the fifth spot. We'll still win the championship. <laughs> yeah, like Draymond Green would be their center, and he would be – it would be like him and Kavon – I guess Kavon Looney would slot right back into that, <laughs> that starting center spot. Kavon Looney's not – like he's good in that Golden State Warriors system. So who knows? We could see it, could see the revival of the Bay Area coming back. Just what we all want. More Warriors. We were we – were, we were so loving of it. We, we loved it so much for those five years of the same NBA Finals matchups. But MLB, let's get into it. Most likely will not have a repeat World Series matchup uh, this year, although it's not entirely out of the realm of possibility. We'll see what happens on that front. But second half storylines, Pat. What do you got for me? What's your number one MLB second half storyline? Oh, man, there's so many. There's so many, Russ. So I'll just float a few out there. I mean, obviously you've got some of the team storylines with the Giants and Red Sox being the major ones. Teams, a lot of baseball thought were going to be awful this year, finished near the bottom of their divisions, have been literally the two best teams in all of baseball in the first half. And so it'll be very fascinating to see how they go through the dog days of August and September and whether they can keep their leads in the division with very, very hungry teams like the Dodgers and Yankees behind them. You got a lot of player storylines, obviously the big ones, but I'm going to go with a very specific player storyline that I really enjoy, and it's the 30 30 40 40 guys. So Fernando Tatis leads it, the 40 homers, 40 stolen bases. He's got like 28 and 20 right now. He's well on his way. Um, super, super exciting. I know both Ronald Acuna and Tatis at some point in their career are going to threaten 50 50, and that will be. A really, really cool moment. But until then, get excited for that. But we also have Trey Turner, Cedric Mullins, Bo Bichette. All could be on the case around 15 homers, 15 steals each. Trey Turner especially. I think, you know, take Tatis's name out of the equation. He's my favorite shortstop in all of baseball. Maybe I'd say probably the best shortstop in baseball outside of Tatis. He's so fun to watch. And I'm really, really excited to see those storylines. I've always thought the 30-30 was a really, really cool milestone for players. Show both the power and the speed. I love having athletes in the sport. I think nothing you know, shows an athlete more than that accomplishment. So I'm looking at those storylines. I think it's been a great, great resurgence of just pure athletes in Major League Baseball. And uh, those, are, those are who I'm looking out for for the second half. Tatis, 4.3 war, 74 games, got about a 9.0 war pace. That would be pretty good. That would uh, that would be pretty good. That would be the best in Padres history, eclipsing Tony Gwynn's 8.6 war in 1987. Only four players in the 150 I, – I guess, I don't know. We might not have these stats you know, dating all the way back to the Red Stockings in 1865, but you get my point here. 100-plus years of MLB baseball – Four players have hit 40 home runs and stolen 40 bases. That's Jose Canseco, Barry Bonds, Alex Rodriguez, and Alfonso Soriano. None of them 
have eclipsed the 50-40 barrier, which is something Tatis could quite possibly pull off. So 69 games left. If Tatis plays every single game, which is quite quite possible with the three the three horsemen trying to vie for the uh, NOS right now in the Dodgers, Giants, and Padres, uh, if he stays at his current pace, he would end up with 54 home runs. You heard that right, people. 54 home runs from a shortstop and 38.6 steals. So maybe he'll have to go for a few more down the stretch, but that's exactly what we want to see, Pat. Like, I will be tuning in if he uh, – he's going to eclipse the 40, 40 home run mark. But once we get to that 35 to 40 stolen base mark with about, I'd say, what, five to seven games left in the season, hopefully – that's going to be must-watch TV every single night for Tatis. It's absolutely wild, the ascension that he's made just as, like, a great baseball player. I mean, I've been telling my friends, all, you know, all of my baseball casual friends that since Tatis was 20, 19, that he was going to be next, that he's electric personality, he's fun to watch, he'll be good. But he's already entered, like, a second stratosphere. He's in his own tier where it's – what is – Tatis gonna do and then like what is everyone else gonna do I'm almost rooting for the Trey Turners of the world the uh the stories of the world or who else like the Marcus Simeons the Bo Bichettes some of these other middle infielders that could almost meet him because at this point it's just like oh Tatis is so much better than everybody else in baseball he's so much faster athletic hits the ball harder throws the ball harder it's absolutely incredible to watch him play so at this point it's almost like who can match the feats that we already expect from this 22 year old and Fernando Tatis Jr. It's, it, it's incredible. And we don't even talk about Vlad Jr. Enough. I think probably cause he's in Toronto. We root for NL teams, but he's doing the exact same thing at the same age. Like he's threatening to be maybe the greatest hitter of all time, even like surpassing what Mike Trout just did for 10 years. And it's, it's really, really good for baseball, especially you know, I do want to talk about the all-star game real quick too, but I'll let you rebuttal if you want to say anything, but it's just so cool to see some of these young stars and just like how good they are so young. It's something we haven't seen in a long time in baseball. And that is so exciting. No doubt. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. likely won't get the triple crown this year because there's that, uh, that Japanese super Superman out there in, uh, in California named Shohei Otani, who will likely be hovering right around 60 home runs, but definitely can win the RBI battle. He's in a nice, nice battle three-way war with Devers and guess who Otani himself Devers one behind um, Rafael Devers. That is of the Boston Red Sox one behind Vladimir Guerrero Jr. And then Otani three behind in that Mark. And then, uh, then the batting average, he could, could end up blocking that as well, but the home runs, I think because of my second half storyline will be unattainable. For Vladimir Guerrero Jr. due to Shohei Otani, who finished the first half with 16 home runs in 23 games over the uh, the final final stretch of the first half, was an absolute maven, hitting 460 foot bombs all afternoon long out there in the uh, day games in uh, in in LA County. It's just it's insane what he's doing right now, Pat. 33 home runs in 89 games. He's currently on pace for 60. And that would be the that he could he could set the true non steroids record. It's very possible to pull off um, if he were to keep this pace up and maybe uh, hit a little bit of an afterburner stretch in the final couple of weeks of the season. Roger Maris number at sixty one. It's attainable. I wouldn't project that he's going to do it, but the fact that it's like we're even talking about this, Pat, like the guy is starting every fifth day, 
and playing all the time. He's on base for 60 home runs as a starting pitcher. It's just he is better than Babe Ruth. Babe Ruth is oh, in yeah. the rear view mirror. Babe Ruth should not be even close to a comparison, though. There is no comparison for this in baseball, in sports, and that, to me, is the number one storyline. Can the starting pitcher also set the true non-steroids home run record in the same season? My God, if he's able to do that, Pat, it would be unbelievable. I don't think he will. It's a crazy feat to pull off 62 home runs in an entire Major League Baseball season. Will likely be hovering in the mid-50s range, which, if he hit 55, would uh, would eclipse the AL record over the last 12 years, uh, dating back to Jose Bautista with 54 in 2010. So it's just – I don't have any – I have run out of words for Shohei Otani. He's the – he is the storyline. He is baseball right now. And yes, I mean, people have to understand you. that like Babe Ruth, he pitched and hit, but he was a terrible pitcher. Like in one season, he struck out maybe like 40 people and walked like 90 people. He was just like not a good pitcher. It was a different game. He basically just had to stand up on the mound and throw the ball towards the plate enough time for the game to keep going. And so like what Shohei Otani is doing is – it's incredible. He, someone I think on the broadcast said you can only really compare it to Bo Jackson and what we've seen or like Deion Sanders and this multi-sport, but I guess more Bo Jackson just because of the pure power and just strength of him. But what's also really cool and I'm happy that the country got to see it, the world, whoever was tuning in to any of the all-star game festivities was just how cool and how wholesome Shohei is too. And that's, what's also a fun part of it. I mean, in all of them, it could be said for Tatis Jr. and Vlad Jr., uh, they all have their own unique personalities, and they're all just so like wholesome and really, really good for the game, especially Shohei. I mean, he his smile during the whole thing, there was so much pressure on him. It sucked that if he didn't like hit a home run and a leadoff at bat and didn't strike out the side, it was all a disappointment. If he didn't hit three homers outside of Coors Field, and so we'll get we'll get to see him back. He seemed to really, really enjoy the whole festivity of it. And I mean, get ready because he is going to be, you know, one of the faces of baseball, hopefully for years to come. And it's awesome. You couldn't want anybody, anybody else to be sort of carrying that torch for you if you're Major League Baseball. I can't remember the GM's name, though, Pat or Pat, but on uh, on was it Monday and Sunday Major League Baseball draft, the Angels, who have had perennially some of the worst pitching in the Mike Trout era, selected 20 pitchers with their full slate of 20 draft picks. That's Never awesome. been done in the history of the sport. I think the GM was quoted saying, yeah, once we got to round eight or seven, we had already had all pitchers. We thought, might as well just dive all the way in. <laughs> so then, yeah, that's awesome. He, that's he just... saw that. He saw Shohei and uh, Juan Soto going, going blow for blow in that first round, and he's thinking, all right, my God, we got to figure out a way to keep keep – not only keep Trout, which we are keeping Trout. He's locked in for over a decade, but we got to keep this Otani guy in here as well. Uh, uh, so the, the starting nine guys, Barstool, they're already on it. But Anthony Rendon eating up 200 whatever million dollars too of that angel oh, salary. I forgot about Rendon. He, they just got out of Pujols' contract, and now they're under Rendon's contract with the Trout, and now you've got Otani staring down the barrel of that. It's just insane what the Angels keep doing to themselves. And, yeah, with how bad Anthony Rendon has been, that's been a storyline that's not been talked about. He has been absolutely atrocious, really hamstringing that team. And it's it sucks, especially when you have two guys like Trout and Otani. That, I mean, baseball, all they want is those two guys to be in the playoffs. If Otani started a, 
you know, an ALCS game and then hit second, that would just be the coolest thing ever. The 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 game needs that so bad. And unfortunately for the for, for all of baseball, the Angels front office just finds clever way after clever way to uh, to just starve us of all of it. Or Arte Moreno, Pat, worth three point four billion. <laughs> you better be <laughs> this, this Angels fans are gonna be pointing at that number and be like, all right, Arte. <laughs> we know we know it's gonna hurt a little bit, bud, but you can afford it. We need you to keep these guys around. But Narte is gonna look right back at him and say, All right, well, some of these 20 pitchers we just drafted better better start evening out the old uh the old coffers a little bit and getting us above 500, which the uh the LA Angels are currently one game above 500, 45 and 44, nine games back of the Houston Astros in the AL West. I think I feel like that's just like it, it's like clockwork orange saying that every single year, nine games back of the Astros. That's how it always seems to be for the LA Angels, who are also five and a half games back of the wild card. A lot of work to do for Shohei Otani and the rest of that outfit over the second half of the season. We'll be tuning into a probability of it. We'll see if they can pull it off. Probably not being talked about enough that that division is probably like the division of death this year right now. The A's are really solid. The Astros have just been the greatest villain in baseball history this year. And then the Mariners just coming out of nowhere, doing what they're doing, just playing pesky baseball. The AL East has been is tough. There's a lot of really good division races. It could be a really, really fun last month of the season. Two of the three divisions, Pat, in the AL have four teams over 500. And then we got the old Orioles and the old Rangers. Just, just, just bringing up the rear. Bringing up the rear. All right, speaking of bringing up the rear, we have a rearview mirror on the entire NFL offseason. We're getting there, Pat. We're here. We're here for NFL training camp. It is coming in the next 10 days. You can feel the heat, the smoldering humidity, and it means it's time to lace up the cleats, get the pads on, and get ready for another edition of the NFL in 2021. Whew. All right, where do we want to start? I'll let you pick, Pat. You want to start with player with most to prove or most interesting training camp? What do you think? Oh, the pressure's on. Let's go with the player with most to prove. Okay. All right. I'll go ahead and start us off here. This one was pretty easy for me. It, it, really? I, I kind of thought of this guy right off the jump. It didn't take me long to uh, run through the Rolodex of NFL players that are trending down and have had great memories for their fans in past years. Number one to me is Cam Newton, Pat. The most to prove, not only this season, but this training camp. It's not necessarily his job 100% right now. Mac Jones comes out there, lights it up. He'll probably be the starter on day one if he outplays Cam Newton in camp. And to me, it's not out of the realm of possibility that that help happens. seeing what we saw from Cam Newton and that funny shoulder in 2020 was throwing ground balls into the turf uh, on a consistent rate. 2,657 yards that ranked 24th among all quarterbacks. He had eight touchdowns to 10 interceptions, easily the worst touchdown to interception ratio of any starting quarterback. And then we had him pour in a 47.0 total QBR. It's it's uh, put up or shut up time for Cam Newton. And he literally said that two days ago. It is now or never for Cam Newton. And he said, obviously, performance in 2020 was not good enough. For me, the Patriots organization has been impeccable. My time there has been everything I could have asked for. I guess it's now time for me to uphold my end of the bargain through and through. I don't want to get so caught up in promises and things like that, but I can guarantee you 
that there's been a shift in comfort of knowing more. I'm thinking he's talking about the McDaniels offensive system there. And I think that's added value in itself. It's time is now for Cam Newton, Pat. It's probably his last opportunity to be a starting quarterback in the NFL. Well, I understand where you're coming from. I think I have to disagree with that just a little bit because I think no matter what Cam Newton proves, the Patriots still have their future and their quarterback in Mac Jones. And so I guess Cam Newton has a lot to prove for himself, but maybe yeah, not that's what for. Yeah. So I, he's going to have to prove a lot if he's going to get another chance. Not a lot to prove know. to the Patriots because they'll be like, all right, buddy. See ya. Yeah, no matter what. Like, and if he does great, they'll be like, thank God, you know, give us the picks. So it's going to be, uh, it'll be, it'll be still a great storyline. I, I thought of so many players that I could have picked for this one. Most of them quarterbacks. I don't know. I, I'm still deciding who I'm going to pick as the absolute most, most approved. I think Who's it's probably top, top two. Yeah. I'll, I'll go with the number one. I think it's it's probably Big Ben. Big Ben. I mean, let's mm-hmm. let's face it. He's eating up more cap than any other player in all of football. Still, I think he's pretty much hamstring this team and what their ability is to do to move on. And the Steelers have willingly let it happen. But this team goes as he goes. Last year, he refused to go under center. He refused to hand the ball off. I mean, there's been plenty of social media posts talking about how he was. Uh, giving away plays based on the way he was standing, whether it be a run or a pass. The offense was boring, completely one-dimensional, ran like seven plays. It wasn't creative. He held the ball for a second, wasn't mobile, couldn't take hits. So, I mean, Big Ben is either just going to, uh, you know, handcuff the Steelers for another season in which they just sort of peter out at the end of the season in the playoffs or – He's going to prove something, and he's going to actually give this team a chance to compete not only in the division but for a Super Bowl because of how good that defense is. And so I think Big Ben absolutely has the most to prove. You know, Steelers fans have been clamoring about him. NFL fans have been making fun of him. It's been He's been a laughingstock of the league for a few years. And so I think he's right up there with the number one guy that has to prove something this year. But I think there's plenty more you could pick from in just different veins. And I'll rattle a few off. I'll let you, I'll let you tell me which ones you like, which ones you don't. Let's hear it. Rapid fire. I think, I think uh, Lamar Jackson could be up there, whether or not he's truly that MVP takes team to the next level. And he's really? Be you got Lamar real- Jackson is something to prove? Already won a playoff game last year? MVP? I think it's I think Greg Roman who has the most to prove on that Ravens offense, the offensive coordinator, less so than, than Lamar sure. Jackson, seeing as okay. Greg Roman has never had a top 10 passing offense in his entire career. I like that. Good point. Rebuttal taken. Derek, David Carr, Derek Carr, it's Derek Carr. He, he's he got something to prove. The fact that he still has a, a job as a starting quarterback is a pretty fascinating that. thing in uh, in football. I, this one might catch you off guard, but I think Matt Stafford has got a lot to prove. Mm. I mean, the, the, the Rams did go out there, gave away golf, gave away assets, putting a lot of their future on the line for Matthew Stafford. They've already – pond so many of their draft assets for players they already have on the roster like Jalen Ramsey and such. So I think he has so much expectation to take this team over the top, the next level to be the team to beat in the NFC. I think that's, he's got a lot to prove that he's not just this uh, stat padding quarterback who, you know, won in garbage time and put up numbers in garbage time in Detroit and maybe got away with 
got away with not being the greatest, most clutch quarterback just because he got to hide in the guise of what was the Detroit Lions. And so mm-hmm. it'll be fascinating. We had a, a caller, Pat. We had a caller, Pat, in Toledo, who every Sunday morning would, would call in to talk about the Lions during the season. And he would call Matt Stafford Stat Padford. <laughs> I like that. I like that. <laughs> That's perfect. Leads right to what you say. I agree <laughs> with you on that one. That's a good pick there because you take Matt Stafford, you take all that talent that has been wasted away in Detroit, and you put him with Sean McVay, you're correct. There's no excuses now. Of course, there. if he gets injured, that's something. Or if if they get a big injury to Jalen Ramsey or Aaron Donald, sure. But even then, like you're, like they're going to be relying – I like that, Pat. They're going to be relying on Matthew Stafford to prove he's a real winner. Carson Wentz, I think, was another pretty obvious one we would we could have gone for. I mean, the entire state of Indiana is on their knees praying for – a new Carson Wentz, a reborn, a renaissance of Carson Wentz, if you will. And uh, I don't know about that. I think the entire organization of the Houston Texans has a lot to prove this season going forward. We could put all of them on this list. I heard Um, somebody, I was listening to the Football Outsiders podcast yesterday and uh, Aaron Schatz, who's the founder of Football Outsiders, he said, yeah, the Texans team isn't bad. If it was an expansion team that had a number one <laughs> overall quarterback at the helm, but they have Tyrod Taylor. <laughs> That's all you got to know. They're one for think- me, Pat, that I was going to think of was Drew Locke on Denver. That Broncos mm. team has zero holes. Offensive line, elite. Pass catching core, elite. Running backs, solid. Defense, top 10. Coaching staff, pretty solid. I like Vic Fangio. I do. <laughs> I like what he's brought to the table defensively. Drew Locke, horrible. He's been an abject disaster for his first few years in the NFL. And that's the reason they brought in Teddy Bridgewater to compete with him in this training camp. And we'll see if Drew Locke can really prove it over the next couple of weeks. I like that. That's a good one as well. I think we have a pretty oh, good yeah. list. I mean, the, the, uh, a lot of these rookies have a lot to prove. And I think it's pretty unfair to them just because the situations they're being put in. I think Trevor Lawrence is being looked at to save this Jaguars team before his rookie contract comes up and all that. The Niners are putting a Super Bowl roster on the shoulders of Trey Lance and hoping that he can be the difference maker. Seems like he has a lot to prove, especially for someone who didn't even play, who played one game of football over the last 24 months. So that'll be a fun a fun story to watch. I think Justin Fields is going to have to prove a lot to, to uh, earn the love of the Bears fans or maybe not have to prove anything. They're just going to love him just for the, uh, the story that is so. A lot of these, the closest thing to Sid Luckman in the 40s. <laughs> yeah. I mean, a lot of these, it's going to be very intriguing. It's going to be, it's going to be a very, very fun year in the NFL. And uh, the extra game is going to be, yes, I think it's going to be a huge deal this year, too. So, oh, yeah. It should be fun to see how that affects the playoff race. And we'll be getting into over unders, all that good stuff as we get closer to the NFL season. Still got about a month and a half left. Uh, in the off season, so to say, before we get to week one. But training camp, Pat, as we get out of here, close it out on this. What's the most intriguing training camp in your eyes? Well, I think I just mentioned it from a TMZ standpoint, probably the Texans and just all of the chaos that will happen there. I shouldn't be laughing from the TMZ part. Yet. It's <laughs> it's all very serious. And it's 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 just a it's just a it's a disaster. It's, it's absolutely- like if Aaron Schott said Aaron Schott said this, but he said it's probably the least hopeful situation of any fan base in the major four sports. And then he included the MLS as well. (laughs) By far. I mean, I can't imagine a more dire situation to be a fan of, to be completely honest. It's, it's brutal. Um, the most interesting 
training camp going in. And again, this was a really hard one because there's so many of these rookie quarterbacks and I feel like I needed to find a bit of a clever one. And so I wasn't able to, so I, I just going to have to go with the Jaguars. And I feel like we've talked about it before, but there's so many. That was my default too. Was, was it? Okay. It's just, it's just a fascinating situation. Like what is urban Meyer going to become as an NFL head coach? You got the number one overall pick in, in Trevor Lawrence and, just the mystique around him. I just think all of everything about the Jaguars. It's an easy pick, but uh, it's fascinating. And I'll let you go for one, and maybe I'll find a second one. That's that's a good little. Mine. I was gonna. I was thinking about the Jaguars a lot, but I didn't want to go with them because we hammered them so hard last week. And to me, the most intriguing storyline from a camp perspective is the New Orleans Saints. Jabu wins. Jabu wins. Going to come back, baby, and, and be. Uh, be uh, the hero reborn and tap back into that 30 touchdowns, or is he going to tap back into those 30 interceptions? That's going to be very intriguing to see out there. Taysom Hill, is he going to be the starting quarterback? We don't know. It's going to be a camp battle, it appears. We'll uh, we'll find out over the ensuing weeks, but Hill likely to be a massive part of that offense, Pat. If I'm a, if I'm, if I'm a better listening to this podcast, go ahead and take a gander at the receiving and uh, rushing touchdowns for Taysom Hill and smash that over. Because if you look at this depth chart, on the New Orleans Saints, there's just not a lot of uh, there's not a lot of options. It's basically Michael Thomas, Alvin Kamara, and uh, yeah, that's it. Let's go through it, Pat. Here we go. We got Traquan Smith, Deontay Harris, Adam Troutman, Nick Vanette, Little Jordan Humphrey, Little Jordan. He might have a breakout year. Jawan Johnson, Marquez Callaway, and Latavius Murray. That is the weapon group that the Saints are putting out there for Jameis Winston or Taysom Hill utilize so even if hill doesn't win the starting job i fully expect him to be a another huge swiss army knife piece in this offense because he kind of has to be at this point that's a great pick it would be really fun to see what sean payton does without drew Brees, and i feel like we expected belichick you know get him out of the brady and let's see what he opens up now creative he could be i think sean payton who's even more creative offensively all the stuff with taste Hill, no more marriage to Drew Brees he has to worry about. He can really just unleash all the crazy weirdness he wants on the offense. Maybe that's just the way he likes it, right? Just a couple big stars and let just a bunch of speedsters, nobodies, and let them do all this crazy stuff he's always dreamt about doing. It could be a could be a fun situation. I do think no, we have to it. mention we have to mention the Packers. That's obviously going to be right. a, a very intriguing training camp as well. Maybe it's going to be a very maybe only one. the first couple of days though. Because if right. if Rogers just shows up next week or whatever on on a uh, um, uh, week from Monday and it's like, hey, I'm here, guys, let's go, let's go get the suit, let's go run back to the MC Championship, the intrigue's kind of gone. But if we get mm-hmm. to Thursday and we haven't heard from Aaron Rodgers, then the intrigue really starts to heat up. I like that point, Pat, and uh, I liked a lot of the points you made on this show. A fantastic red in the three by three to send the people off into the weekend for Patrick Fetch. I'm Russ Hellman. It was a lot of fun chopping up. MLB second half, NBA finals, all knotted up at two apiece. And then NFL training camp about to heat up as we get into the dog days of summer here. For Patrick Fetch, I'm Russ Heltman. We'll talk to you again on Tuesday. Have a great weekend, everybody.